It is always a joy to be home. Uh, this is home, and uh, we're always glad to be here. And to begin with, on behalf of the missionary body, I'd like to thank the missions committee and the staff and all the effort that goes in to pull this off. It's always, uh, we come in and wined and dined and uh, given much more than what we deserve, and we appreciate that, appreciate this body of believers and the way that you receive us. And I do, on behalf of the missionary family, I want to say thank you for your generosity, uh, for your prayer, your friendship, and allowing us to uh, be, be free to serve and to represent this body of believers around the world. And before we begin, I want to pray and ask the Lord to guide this time. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church. Thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ. We're here to celebrate the salvation that he has brought not only to us, but to the world around us. And Father, I pray you'd take the words this morning, and first of all, we want to give you the glory. We thank you for the sacrifice of Christ who's made all this possible. And I pray you'd always remind us, we have the only answer, the only one, for the needs of the world around us. So I pray you'd guide this time. May, may you be glorified, and may you bless it and use it, and ask in Christ's name, amen. I've been asked this morning to share a little bit about our journey and how it relates to Melanie Park, and What's that all about? Well, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Melanie Park. In fact, there would be a number of people out there to say the same thing. We are fruit and extensions of this body. So in that sense of the word, it's important how I'm connected. I go back nearly 46 years, uh, and this body has been a blessing from day one uh, that we have been a part of it. Just to give you a little bit, I'm going to be a little bit repetitive for those that were at the banquet, but I need to connect some things. Uh, my life totally changed in 69. I was first part of the first lottery, and my number was four. I didn't get the TV on before it was drawn, so I automatically knew my whole life had changed. I was going in the military. The question was not uh, when, but where, and I was fortunate and uh, was able to go in as uh, be selected as a pilot, and I did not know the, that God would use the Air Force in such a marvelous way in our lives. Uh, and I want to share a couple of things the Air Force did for us. First of all, it, it was our primary exposure in missions. We immediately went to, left the University of Memphis in 1973 and went out to Phoenix, Arizona at Williams Air Force Base. And there I was exposed to ministry to the Navajo Indians through a couple. Uh, a wonderful time, not only learning how to fly, but uh, being mentored and, and uh, being challenged by this passion this couple had for the Navajo. I thought I would stay there and be an instructor pilot, but I was sent to Webb Air Force Base in Big Spring, Texas. We were there but a couple of months, met a man who was in ministry on the northern part of Mexico, made what would be my first trip into Mexico, and had no idea 12 years later I would live in Mexico. Um, and then I taught international students. We had uh, Iranians, Kuwaitis, and Chileans on, on one of two bases, and I got my first cross-cultural exposure to those of Islam and, and the Middle East and understanding a little bit of how they were wired and who they were. And then in 76, they closed Webb, which is interesting. I should have spent, I shouldn't have been at but one base. God moved me three times. The Lord brought us here to Lubbock, Reese. And we had been here but a couple of weeks. We found this church and we knew we'd found home. Uh, Terry was eight and a half months pregnant and we were welcomed by a wonderful staff and given a baby shower, and made friends to whom we still have today. Uh, I think there were six or eight babies born within just a few months. It's one of those seasons where uh, a lot of young couples. So it was a very special time. 
And ending my two years, which finished up my commitment, I thought, well, I'll be a missionary pilot. And I applied and talked some with Wycliffe and JARS. And they basically, at that point in time, told me I was too old and would be difficult in retraining me for the kind of flying they did. Uh, so we thought, well, missions is closed. And I thought, man, we're, we're too old now. By the time I go to seminary, we won't make it. So I thought, well, you know what? It'd be good. It'd be great to be a part of a church that would raise up and send out people. And I really left with that vision. So we went to Dallas-Fort Worth and to do seminary. While we were there, we stayed in church with the body. And much to my surprise, about uh, three years later, we received an invitation to come and join the staff, uh, basically kind of back then in education and discipleship. Um, and let me mention a couple of things. Uh, the next five years would be some of the richest in my life. And we've been in this sanctuary for a lot of things. I've been in here for weddings. Uh, we've been in here for funerals. We've been in here for times of worships. Um, we've been in here when there were family meetings of joy and happiness and other times when there was conflict and disagreement and people often said things that were hurtful. And all that's part of what it means to be in a body of believers. And you know, as I look back on that, I thank God. Most of you, some of you won't know what I'm talking about, but since the very beginning, God has provided godly leaders for this church, both in staff and in those that served in the beginning as deacons or elders, we have been blessed to have men who, have, who love God and have walked with Him and led this church. We've gone in a number of occasions, I could tell you a bunch, where if something hadn't been dealt with biblically, if we hadn't made a decision and really sought the Lord on it, we could have gone totally off track. It could have significantly damaged who we are and what the Lord wanted to do with us. But season after season, decade after decade, God has provided those men. And I'm particularly grateful for the men that God has brought out of the body, too. And I want to challenge you, pray for your leaders. Uh, they are no different than we are. Pray that God will keep them on their knees. They will be biblical and godly men. And God will raise men out of the body. We need godly elders. We need elders. Uh, and we need a, a lot of elders. And pray the Lord will be faithful to continue to raise up men to do that. You know, for many people, we don't understand what it means to be a part of a church. It means to be a part of a family. We've lost that. We come and we join, we come and go, but really once you leave here, you kind of disconnect, and that's part of this culture. But this is a family, and we need to have a family commitment. We need to be willing in the good and the bad and the ugly to walk together. And when somebody gets off track, we get in each other's faces, we encourage one another so that we can love each other and journey biblically. And again, conflict is a part of that. There is no growth without conflict. You realize the biggest source of conflict is change. And when we're being transformed, what are we doing? We are changing. And the big question is, how do we respond to conflict? Do we see it as something from the Lord, and we walk in the power of the Spirit, or do we walk in the flesh? And you know, there are Changes, good and bad. There's things I've loved and things I hadn't been too cool about. I hadn't liked. And I and realized God's not got you here to meet your needs or my needs. He's brought us in to make us part of this family, to grow us, and to help us to become what he wants us to be. Uh, without conflict, there is no growth. And if you run, every time there's conflict, 
You're gonna, God's going to be very limited in what he does in your life. And we're in a culture that runs when things don't go well. And we need people, again, that will walk with us and love us, all of us, whether it's good or bad or whatever. I challenge you, if you're a member here this morning, make it your family. Don't just hang out here on Sunday, but commit yourself to knowing this body of people. Give it your life. It's like a marriage. You will get out of it what you put into it. Uh, that's the absolute truth. And I can tell you, we've, like I say, we've got nearly half a century here, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, it has been, it's been a wonderful journey that has shaped us and made us what we are. Shortly, I'm now sorry, going to go back and talk about my journey. After we uh, came here, we began to develop a missions program. Uh, and one of the visions we had, and this is why I'm here today, is we wanted to raise up, send out missionaries, and journey together over the long haul. And we've got 38 years. Uh, there are people in here with, with decades of service because that was our vision. We didn't want to, I've got friends that have, uh, excuse me, 30 and 40 churches they visit. Sorry, this. I am dry. That have um, 20, 25 churches. And I mean, they don't have a home church. They don't have anything with which they can identify. And I'm so blessed to say this is home. We, this is a part of the vision. I think it's one of the most unique. If you travel around the country, you won't find many churches like Melanie. That's nothing you can say about us. It's a vision that God has given us, but I think it's brought, I'll guarantee you, whether it's blessed you, it greatly blesses us as missionaries. And we wanted Mountain Park families to be able to come and have a missionary in China or a missionary in the Middle East or, or in South America or wherever they might be. You could come and visit, and you had someone that would, would host you and show you around, and we have all been blessed. We, in fact, we love day. Jim even asked the other day how many people have been to China. People all over the place had raised their hands. And we want people to not only send people out, but to have the body come and to visit and experience that with us. In 1982, as we were developing a missions program, we invited the Lima Peru for the Encounter Program, took a group of leaders down, went back again in 83, and we did that for the next five years. I wish I had time to tell you about that. It was a wonderful time. But Terry, I went on the first one. Terry went with me on the second one. In the second one, we were reminded of the Lord we were not too old, that we could still have gifts and abilities to be used around the world, and we Prayed about that, consulted with the leadership, and were affirmed. And in 1985, two years later, we were sent out to do church planting in Mexico, which we did for the next 15 years. Now, let me tell you what's significant about that. Two times during that 15 years, we came here on home assignment. And the beauty of that was our kids today call here home. And when you look at most missionary kids, a lot of missionary kids stay on the field because they don't have a home. They were born and raised there, and all the U.S. is them is this house and that house and this place and that place, and there's really no place where they have roots. This became roots for our family. And in our first uh, furlough, I served on staff, which did the same thing I'd done, which was a blessing. Kids had a great time. Second one, I came back, I served to support the staff, and uh, we had two wonderful years of renewing friendships and relationships, and I hope encouraging some of the church, and the sacrifice that you were making for us. And that was an extremely important time. You have to see missionaries that come back. I've seen them come back. They've traveled 15,000 miles 
and they've told me we slept in 80 different beds and we visited 40 different churches. That is no way to find rest and renewal. Uh, we are so blessed to have a spot that is home. We spent the next 11 years in 2000, I was invited to be a part of the executive leadership team of our mission, and then the last 12 years is was mentioned, I have been uh, uh, working with Buscad Primero, which is a ministry to Latin American pastors and their wives in, in Spanish-speaking countries. And I'll leave it with this. It, they live in some of the most difficult areas of the world, economically, socially, politically. And I hope that you are aware how much they need our care and our support and our encouragement. This morning, I want to talk to you about a foundation to missions. Uh, and it's called priority. Because if our priority is not what it should be, then we'll never see what we want to see in missions. We'll never be what God wants us to be. And if you live for the Lord, life is challenging. It has been from the very beginning. Uh, and as, uh, as his body, we are called to be his ambassadors, uh, which we are to be his feet, hands, and eyes. And in doing that, there's really four areas that I think we live that out in. We live it uh, out as a church, we live it out as a family, we live it out as a marriage, and we live it also as individuals. And how we live that affects the society in which we live. It determines values, norms, and different elements of our culture. If we want a godly culture or society, all those things have to be healthy. All of them have to function. They shape, again, and influence that. In other words, if we want a healthy and a biblical society, we need a, a, a biblically-centered church. If we want a healthy church, we need a biblically-centered marriage. If we want a, a healthy marriage, we need a biblically-centered family. Excuse me, family, biblically-centered marriage. And if we want a biblically-centered marriage, we have to have healthy individuals. And what I want to communicate, and let me talk about, I'm sorry, what is biblically-centered? It's someone that uh, has a, either a church or an individual or family that demonstrates a hunger for God, obedience to his word, a commitment to prayer and service to others, and has a passion to both live and verbally communicate the gospel to the world. If for any reason any of these foundations are missing or diseased or underdeveloped, we suffer as a culture, as a society. And what I want you to hear is one thing this morning. How each of us lives individually is the foundation of all of that. If you looked at it, the bottom level is you and me, you and me. That's where it all starts or ends. Uh, and how I live my life and how you live your life affects this body of believers. First uh, Corinthians 12, 12 through 27 declares that we're a spiritual body called the church. And we are an, an interdependent body in how we function which means there is no such thing as private sin. When I sin, I affect you. When you sin, you affect me. If I live less than God's design in my life, it affects you. If you live less than God's will for your life, it affects me. There is no life in here so insignificant that it doesn't carry that responsibility. Whether you have two weeks in the Lord or, or 40 years in the Lord, we are called to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, and soul. And when you and I fail to live for God's glory, it affects everything, whether we're talking missions, whether we're talking the health of this church, your marriage, or whatever. Therefore, it's critical, if we don't hear one thing, how you and I choose to live affects 
the world around me. Our study this morning is going to be on the importance of, of, uh, of priority uh, and the fact that, that uh, and please capture, I'm saying priority, not priorities, not plural. Uh, my introduction to the concept of priority was plural. I've read lots of books and listened to speakers for years, and I always thought, like most words, it was a plural and a singular. That's not the case. If you look at the etymology of the word, George McNow in his book, Essentialism, states this. The word priority came into English language in the 1400s. It was singular, and it meant the very first thing. And it stayed singular for the next 500 years. Uh, therefore, by definition, priority is singular. When we're talking about priorities, it is a misuse of the word. And if there are multiple priorities, what we're really saying, there, are, there is no priority singular. The evolution of the word is interesting. It began in the 20th century, which kind of makes sense to me, around the 1900s. And he states this. Only in the 1900s did we pluralize the, the term and start talking about priorities. Illogically, we reasoned that by changing the word, we could bend reality. You know, as the, and, and it began, if you look at the 20th century, 1900s up to today, this is what it looks like. The curve starts to go vertical, and the use of the plural has exponentially increased since, uh, since the end of this century and obviously into the 21st century. And as the pace and demands of life are multiplied, we are falsely living with multiple priorities. Think about that. I just want to, I want to challenge you to think this morning. And the concept of priority being singular is foreign to all of us. Uh, I think most younger men and women would say illogical and impractical to talk about a singular priority. Uh, it's a reality that does not exist in today's world. Well, we're going to go to Scripture. Uh, turn with me to Psalms 27, and we're going to see something very clearly in the life of David. I believe David was called a man's after God's own heart because he lived with a singular priority, which was his pursuit of God. Um, most commentators believe Psalm 27 was written while David was running from Absalom, his son, who was trying to kill him. Uh, so you can see it was a very intense time. Uh, whether it was Absalom or not, he was obviously running for his life from some enemy. Uh, and if you look at the psalm, the first six verses express confidence in the Lord. There is a, a section of praise. The next uh, 7 through 12, I like that a lot. It's a prayer in the midst of all this noise and chaos of life. He's praying for God to sustain him and give him strength. And then 13 and 14 is a confession of trust as he waits on God to meet his needs, to help him. We're not going to have time to look at all of these, but I believe the center of that psalm for me is verse number 4, and we're going to focus on that, and then we're also going to look at the prayer in the middle of that psalm. Verse 4 states this, One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to do what? To behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. The first two words say it all. One thing. He might as well said, my priority. Singular, my one thing. Uh, when questioned about what was most important in life, David wasn't a man that needed, like a lot of us probably, I would go, can you give me a minute to think about that? He immediately knew it was God, his love for God, his pursuit of God. He had a singular love, desire, and focus on his relationship. I don't know about you, but I have to confess I would be hesitant 
how I might answer if somebody were to ask me. Maybe once in a while I might be thinking well and say what would be the right thing to say, but I'm a little anxious about what I would say. In fact, as I was preparing this, I asked myself, how would you ever come to where you could truly say if somebody asked me, Keegan, what's your first priority? I would automatically say, it is my pursuit of the Lord. And you know what? That's a legitimate question, and David answers that. I think this is one of the most precious nuggets out of this psalm. And if you read it real quickly, you don't see it. What did David say? One thing I have asked of the Lord. You catch what he's doing? One thing, he asked him for it. It sounds a little ingenuous to me. You know, God, I want to make you first in my life, but if you don't help me, if you don't give me the strength and desire, I'm not going to, I can't do it. I just, I mean, only God can take that kind of prayer and go, yes, I'd be glad to help you. Yes, I will help you. And David knew, I think as we all knew, without God's divine enabling, we will never truly answer from the heart, God is my first priority. We can't. It's an, it is a work of grace. It's a work of the Spirit in our lives. And it sounds ridiculously simple. How do you do that? Ask the Lord. Sounds almost like one of those pat answers. Uh, but, it, but it is. That is the secret. If we want him to be first thing, the first thing we need to do is get on our knees and say, Lord, I can't do this. Uh, you will have to change me. You will have to put within me whatever it is that's needed for me to live and walk in that fashion. Now we're going to leave right there in verse 4, and I want you to jump to verse 7 because his prayer, I think, reflects the intensity with which David is asking the Lord. Look at verse 7. He says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, shall I seek. Isn't that incredible? Hear. It's an imperative. Strong as you can say it. Hear me, God. Listen to me. I need you to. Uh, and the word hear is interesting. It was a word in the Hebrew when you used, when you were talking about something that was really important, you'd like, now listen to me. This is really important. You'd go, hear me. I'm about to say something that's critical. I need this. And David's saying, I need this desperately, and I need it now. He goes on, again in the imperative, be gracious to me, answer me. Again, we see that same intensity, and he's saying, have pity on me, have mercy, give me what I don't deserve. David is like, I mean, he's, I, can, I can feel that. I mean, I, I so identify with that, and he says, answer me, answer me, respond quickly, and all David's saying, I need your help, and I need it now. He goes on in verse 8, when you said, seek my face, which is a command by God, David's response, he says, we're clear to me, and he says, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. It's in, it's in the continuous tense there. David's saying, I sought your face in the past. I'm seeking it in the present, and I will seek it until I stand with you. Uh, and it reminds us that, that the pursuit of God is a lifelong need, a lifelong commitment. Uh, and then he goes on, and he also wasn't literally asking to see the face of God, which we know was, not per, was uh, prohibited, but he's asking for God's presence. And then he goes on and says, uh, uh, when you said, seek me, he said, I shall seek what shall love. When he prayed, he put feet to his prayers. There's always the divine, uh, the tension between the divine enabling power of God and the human choice and will to say, Lord, I will work alongside you. I will yield myself. I will walk after you. And that's always the tension in the spiritual life. We need his divine empowerment, but we have a free will and we have a choice. 
Seek is another interesting word. It means to pursue something or someone with directed purpose and, and in a constant, uh, continuous way. It's not just done haphazardly. David thought about how to pursue God. Look at verses 9 through 12. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me or forsake me. O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Interesting, in those three requests, do not hide, do not turn, do not abandon, look at what David writes, you have been my help. And we know David had been in many, many situations where God had faithfully, consistently met his needs. And in all of this, David's reminded God is faithful and he's always there. And I love one of the most precious verses in all the scriptures repeated over and over is the last part of verse 9, O God of my salvation. He is our salvation, and there's no greater words than that. He's saved us. He's redeemed us. Then he goes on in verse 11, teach me your way. Again, we're still in that same intensity. Lead me. Teach him. Again, all he's saying, and I, I feel this. I know you must. I don't know how to do that. I don't even know really sometimes who I am. Can you help me with this? Will you help me with this? And then he says, I love this part. Uh, lead me in a level path. And all that means is, would you make it easy? Well, I can, I can identify with that. Lord, I don't need anything complicated. I don't need any turns. I don't need any potholes. Just very simply, please, show me how to walk with you. And he finishes up in verse 12, Do not deliver me over the desires of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. And he reminds us, Anyone that chooses to walk after God, count on it, there will be those who will stand against you. Whether it's openly or trying to sideline you or distract you, that is part of what it means to follow the Lord. It is a battle. And out of this, I hope what you see, without his help, we are powerless to faithfully follow him and to center our lives on him. And it all begins simply by asking, will you help me do this? Let's go back to verse 4, and we'll look at the middle of that verse, and he talks about one thing I've asked the Lord, that I shall seek what? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And the word dwell, as we know, doesn't mean visit. It means to literally reside or live somewhere. And David is saying, I don't want this thing to be a momentary thing. I want it to be a part of my daily journey. I want to know you are with me. I want to sense your presence. Um, and I want that to be part of my life each day. And the house of the Lord is, as we know, the Lord dwelled in the temple, the Lord dwelled in the tabernacle, and that, again, was simply a symbol of God's presence. And he's re restating verse 4, he wants to have God's presence. And then the last part emphasizes, again, all the days of my life. Uh, and all he's saying, this is a lifelong desire, and I want it from now until the day I stand in your presence. And the next phrase gives insight into, I mean, I, I'll just be honest with you, sometimes I think, have you ever thought about being in heaven and praising the Lord for a thousand years and ever had the thought, man, that's a lot of praising. I, I don't know if I'd get a little tired of that now and then. And, and you know, the reality is, and the issue there is, I've still got a sin nature. I've got a mind that's about that big, and God is infinite, and I cannot understand what it will be like to stand before the creator of the universe I'm convinced we'll be, well, we know, we will be awed until well, eternity won't end 
but there'll be no forcing ourselves to do anything. And David gives us a secret here. What motivated him to do all this? And he says it very clearly, the beauty of the Lord. You know, motives are key. Motives are what give authenticity to the spiritual life. I can seek God out of fear, or I can seek a punishment, or I can seek God out of love. I can serve God to gain his favor, or I can serve God as an expression of my thankfulness and gratefulness. Uh, and the key question is, what is motivating in my life? And right here, what would motivate me to pursue God and to make him my single priority? And David said it clearly, the beauty of God. The word behold means to attentively look at someone or something and listen to notice and distinguish even the smallest detail. If you remember the first time you looked at your wife or your husband and you were just marveling over their, the beautiful uh, person they were, their face, their smile. It has that to the smallest detail and to lose nothing of what is being viewed and to capture all there is to see. We'll never know the beauty of God until we sit down and look at Him and take time to do that. And I want to do something. I'm going to read some descriptors of, out of Scripture of God. And I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes and as I read these, try to take the words as I read them and let them gener generate images of who God is. God is awesome, almighty, amazing, boundless, compassionate, everlasting, faithful, forgiving, generous, gentle, gracious, healing, incomparable, joyful, just, kind-hearted, loving, majestic, matchless, mighty, magnificent, merciful, patient, protecting, pure, radiant, righteous, strong, sustaining, triumphant, trustworthy, unequaled, unparalleled, victorious, virtuous, wonderful. You know, when you think of that, it's amazing, and it grieves me how little I can perceive of God's beauty and how limited my perception is. Uh, how can we not be drawn to any being which would demand such an incredible list of adjectives in which you can only capture that much of his essence. May God enable us to behold him in all his glory and all his splendor, and might that be what moves us to passionately pursue him. David goes on in verse 4 that we need not only see the beauty of God, but he challenged us to do one thing more, and that is to meditate in his temple. And it's one thing to see the beauty of God, it's another to really capture the essence of what that beauty symbolizes and means. And again, that's something we need to do. We not only need to behold Him, but we need to take time and reflect on what is an awesome God, what is an, uh, a faithful God, a compassionate God. And meditation is the act of consideration, reflection, or inquiry of something or someone. It's one thing to be captured by beauty, it's another to consider the significance of the beauty being beheld. 
It moves perception from a mental activity to a heart exercise that, that demands reflection and time and energy. And you know what? As a culture, I fear we no longer value anything that requires effort to understand. I think we've become uh, really weak in many ways mental, mentally. In many ways, we're simpletons. We, we have lost our abilities to understand and desire to understand complex realities. You know, and even though we may never fully understand the beauty of God, I challenge you, just begin to take time to think about who He is and the beauty of who He is and to meditate and think on that. You know, my prayer for each of us this morning is that we will leave here with a full understanding, an absolute understanding of the divine responsibility that you have and I have to live a life that is worthy of God, and that we will live in such a way that others will be blessed by who we are rather than be caused to stumble or hurt or limited or cause someone even to walk away from the church, which has happened so many times. May we be convinced, as David was, that there is rightfully and critically a singular priority, and that is our pursuit of God. That is the one thing that our life should be singled on or focused on. And may we seek him and seek him alone. And may we also come to grips, and, and uh, whether it's that, that our only hope in doing that is to get on our knees and to ask him for his grace and enabling power so that we can do that. Uh, because without it, we can do nothing. And may God create within all of us that same sense of desperation that the busier life gets, the harder the pressures are, the uglier things are, that we'd be driven to seek Him out. And may we learn to meditate on the marvels of God in such a way that we might be captured and motivated by His beauty. And if we do that, we will have the blessing of seeing our personal lives changed, our marriages, our family, this church, our culture. Um, in such a way that he will be glorified, first and foremost, through my life, through your marriage, if you're married, through mine, through your family, and through this body of believers, in such a way that God will be glorified And why we're here this morning, so that the name of Christ will be proclaimed to the very ends of the earth. What I want to do, just as my final thing, I want to read this verse out of, out of the Amplified Bible. If you don't have one, it's a beautiful Bible. What it does, it simply takes the Hebrew and the Greek, and they just take one Hebrew word, and they'll give you three extra English words. Uh, and I really like that because it's just like stretching something so you can see inside of it. And I'm going to read this and then pray, and then Brian will come up and lead us for our final song together. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek, inquire for, and insistently require, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord that is in his presence, all the days of my life, to behold and gaze upon the beauty, the sweet attractiveness, and the delightful loveliness of the Lord, to meditate, to consider, and inquire in his temple. Father, we thank you for this morning, and, and Father, we worship you. Oh, Lord, we declare you to be the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, you and you alone our worship of all glory and honor and praise. Oh, Father, I pray that as we talk this morning and we talk about living a singular priority in our pursuit of you and your glory,
God, that's something that's light years beyond a lot of us here. I mean, to even think about that sounds, to be honest, where we are right now, like it's ridiculous. But Father, may we be minded, you've called us to do that, and what you've called us to do, you will enable us to do. I pray we'd be quick to get on our knees and do as David did, simply say, God, I can't do it. Oh, Lord, help me. Help me. Give me what I need. Change my character. Change my life. Change my desires. Change my marriage. Change my family. Change this church. Change our nation. And Father, I pray that you would, uh, I thank you for this body of believers. I thank you for what you've done and, and all that's been done. Again, it's because of your glory. I pray that as long as you tarry, you will use this body of believers and you will uh, continue to glorify yourself. You will continue to transform lives and you will uh, raise up people to go all over our country and as we've already said, to the ends of the earth. Uh, there's no greater joy, no greater blessing, no greater opportunity than, than we have before us. And God, we love you. And we thank you most of all for our Lord Jesus. And we put all that we are in your hands and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. What a great weekend. And so great to be together this morning. Keegan said something that I want to reiterate and turn it into an invitation. I want to invite you into this church family. With only one uh, means to be a part of this body, and that's your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is the church of the redeemed. These are blood-bought brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's the blessing of this. When we become and live out of who God has called us to be as a church family, everything that is done happens through that context. So he mentioned elders. Man, we need men to serve as elders in this church. And we need men who have that desire, but they are affirmed, equipped by this church family. We need missionaries. I mean, I hope there are people that through this weekend have been prompted to at least consider a call to follow the Lord wherever he wants to take you. That starts individually, but it is affirmed and it is equipped through this body of believers. There are people who are here in good places and there are those who are struggling. And when you're a part of this family, you do not struggle alone. There are people who come alongside you to affirm, to equip, to love. And so being a part of this family is a big deal because it's how God designed his mission to be fulfilled in this world. And, and if it's not this church family, then I pray with the same intensity that you would find that in another church family for the very same reasons. But if you're here, let's be fully committed to living out the beauty of what God has called us to be and has made possible through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pray for us and we'll close. Father, thank you so much for this incredible weekend, for the privilege to welcome home those who consider this their church home because this is their family. And Father, I just pray that we continue to cherish, to protect the bond of unity in peace because of the gift of grace that we have all received. Father, help us to live faithfully according to your purpose and plan, to the praise and glory of your name, both now and for all eternity. 
In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Have a great day.